Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you upgrade your car because you need to or because you want to, eBay Motors has all the car parts you need. Over 122 million of them, from new rims to seat cushions, all at the right prices. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code STRAIGHTFIRE and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code STRAIGHTFIRE for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey. Indiana or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a recipe for getting your car running just right. And eBayMotors.com has all the ingredients you need. They have over 122 million car parts and accessories in stock, all at the right prices. Now that's tasty. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Monday, January 10th. It's a big week in these waters. Uh, We got the Natty tonight, Alabama, Georgia, NFL playoffs this coming weekend. We got a night Monday night football playoff game. But first, before we get to any of that, and our great guest who was a quarterback at the University of Alabama, oh my gosh, Raiders-Chargers was one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And I know it ended kind of crappy for all of us with Chargers tickets. That hurt. Um, And I'm sorry to do this. I I, I don't want to open the podcast with this, but I have to play conspiracy theorist. I'm sorry. I have a feeling this game is going to go down in the annals along the lines of, hey, was that Patrick Ewing Knicks NBA draft rigged the frozen envelope so the Knicks could get the number one pick? Was it rigged? We'll never know. We'll never know. There's been a million people that have denied it, but there's still too much ancillary evidence. Folks, we are never, ever, ever going to get a straight answer as to whether or not the Raiders were going to play for the tie in the final seconds of overtime versus kick the field goal and win it. And I think the only read here on an early Monday morning where a lot of people stayed up way late to watch a whale of a game that Brandon Staley royally screwed up and shafted his Chargers. And folks, listen, I was on the Chargers fairly heavy. I had him in the contest. I had three and two in the contest. But all that doesn't matter because the, the Chargers had this game. They were the better team. Justin Herbert was amazing. That final drive of regulation uh, I think they converted five fourth downs 
I mean, heart-stopping stuff. Rob, uh, the producer of this podcast, is a longtime Raiders fan. And I avoided texting him for most of the game. And then I just could not help myself. And I had to fire because I'm on like six different text chains with people. Uh, I got my buddy who was in a pick contest, came down to the Chargers game. He had the Chargers. Uh, I have another buddy who's a longtime Chargers fan. I have other friends who are just like, this game's freaking crazy. I got my gambling buddies. Uh, my Fox gambling guys. Like, the, the texts are just flying throughout the game. And I, I feel like I had to ask Rob. And Rob responded kind of just like a, a very brief one. I was like, oh, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. You know, if this were the Jets, I don't want. I, I turned the phone on silence. Of course, the Jets haven't been here in a while. Um, the last time was um, they could not stop Ben Roethlisberger on multiple third downs to get the ball back to have a chance to win in the AFC title game, which feels like yesterday to me, but it was over 10 years ago. At any rate, and and this is going to, folks, we're going to be looking at this for days, uh, probably months. There'll probably be a 30 for 30 on it or whatever they do, the documentary thing. I'll set the scene for you, and the tinfoil how crowd's going to love me, and I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of others, maybe Steelers fans, who are just like, nah, come on, get out of town. The Steelers deserved it. So it's at the 39-yard line. The Raiders seem hell-bent on letting the clock run out. No timeout for the Raiders or Chargers on first down. No timeout on second down. And they're at the 39-yard line. Now, I, at this point, I have to say that the Raiders have had a historically great season from their kicker. This guy Carlson, whoever the hell he is, um, not, he was going into this final kick. He was eight for eight on lead changing field goal attempts with less than two minutes to go in the fourth quarter or overtime. The most in a single season in NFL history. So this guy's money, but you're at the 39 yard line. So from the 39, you add the seven for the snap and the 10 for the end zone. And you're looking at a 56 yard field goal. So I went and looked it up. This guy Carlson's pretty damn good. He hit from 56 in Dallas. He hit from 55 at home against Baltimore in the season opener. I mean, from 50, he was four for five heading into this kick if they were going to go from 50. Clock's running out. Al Michaels and Collinsworth are like, oh my gosh, they're going to play for the tie. I'm kind of geeked for the tie. Like, no disrespect, I got a buddy who's a diehard Steelers fan who says, I'm going to punch a hole in my friggin' wall if this, this is rigged if this is the tie. It didn't feel rigged. I mean, let's be honest. The game was tremendous. You can't rig five fourth downs from the Chargers. At the end, could they have settled it and said, hey, guys, let's do a tie? If I'm the interim Raiders coach, of course I'm doing that. Of course. No doubt about it. That's an automatic, yeah, hey, let's do it. I get to the playoffs. I mean, can you imagine the heartache if they have a botched snap or it's blocked and run back or any kind of chaos ensues and you blow it? Because you, you could have just got a tie and got in. And there was NBC cameras on the sideline when Staley called timeout. He's pacing on the sideline. They cut to Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert very clearly, I'm not a lip-reading expert, very clearly says, I've never wanted a tie this bad in my entire life. He says it. It's like he's almost saying it in like slow motion. So the Chargers are practically like resigned to it. Like, hey, we don't have the ball. Uh, we have no chance of scoring. Yeah, I will gladly take a tie. And Staley calls timeout. And everyone's dumbfounded. Everyone. It's like, what? what? Why is he doing that? And, and then so screen grabs start flying. Well, look. Wait a minute. Wait. There's no cornerback lined up opposite Zay Jones at the bottom of the screen. Oh, Staley saw that. And then, of course, people zoom out, you know, uh, as they do, you know, getting the TV grabs or whatever. Slow motion, what have you. And there is a Chargers defensive back there. The, did the Chargers look a little confused? Yeah, they did. But 
could you call timeout or did it look like the Raiders were just going to run it into the line of scrimmage? They had one receiver wide. They were content on running. Okay? Staley calls timeout. Everybody's like, wait a minute. What are you doing, bro? What's going on? And of course, the Raiders are like, all right, we're going to change our play. And they do a Josh Jacobs carry that peels off 10 yards. And now Carlson, who's like automatic, is set up for a 46-47 yarder, which is like a layup for this guy. And he drills it and the Chargers lose. Of course, people freaking out, but if you watch right after the kick, you know, the players come on the field, the cameras are going to the players, the long snapper for the Raiders, number 47, is seen like covering his face and saying something to Austin Eckler right after the game. And Eckler, of course, is like, really? Man. Now, what could this dude have been saying? To Austin Eckler right after the game. I don't think he was talking about Crazy Horse 2 on the strip in Vegas. I, I'm guessing it wasn't about a dinner or New Year's Eve plans or uh, COVID test. I, this was obviously about the game and probably the ending. And Eckler's reaction of, really? To me, says the Raiders were talking about. And this is a long snapper. He would have known if he was going to be in the game. I personally am of the belief the Raiders were going to play for the tie and Staley screwed him. And I'm not just saying that Castelli cost me money. And I'm not just saying that Castelli had a shitty game. Going for it on fourth and one from your own 20. And, okay, that's extremely risky. But the play call, when you've got Justin Herbert, who obviously comes out of this game looking like one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, which we've been on all season if you've been listening to the podcast. Like, you turn around and hand the ball off to Eckler, going into the line of scrimmage like a running back dive on fourth and one from your own 20, you basically handed the Raiders the game, and then you're playing catch-up, which led, of course, to the greatest <laughs> final drive in regular season history. I don't think you guys realize this. Herbert's final drive, his stats were as impressive as Zach Wilson, my guy, Mormon Mahomes, was for the entire day against the Bills in what was a close game until the fourth quarter and the Jets blew the cover. Um all right, I, I need to bring in Rob, but we, we do have a great guest coming up, so we're going to go along with him. But Rob, I, I just I take take us into your house. What was last night like? I mean, were the kid was the kid asleep? Was the wife working? Was the were you at home? Did you have friends over? Um, set the scene for us. Uh, well, I was just at home. It was me, my wife, and daughter. I don't normally like watching games like this with people. Uh, it's kind of weird, you know. Like we like if I'm watching. A lake like the late last the Lakers uh playoff game last year against the Phoenix when I think AD got hurt. There were people was like outside of the barbecue and I hated it because I'm so like locked in and I got people who don't really understand the game and you know yep. they're always sharing their two cents. I'm like, dude, just shut up. Let me watch the game. I'll process it, whatever. But as you know, having kids, you know, um, my daughter had the big TV and she was watching her shows. So I'm watching everything on my iPad. Wait, she, didn't, she wasn't watching Raiders Chargers? No, she was not watching Raiders Chargers. She, she knows a few words and one of them is not this. So she <laughs> did not want to watch. So I'm watching on my, on my iPad. And of course, I'm in all these group chats like you are. And I'm getting all of these text messages during the game about what's going on which is only getting me more upset because I'm as a stream, I'm like 30 seconds behind. So when you text me some of your stuff, I'm like, Jason, Jesus, like oh, leave sorry, me alone. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. why I was very short with you on the response. But um, man, I, when I tell you that I grew like three or four new gray hairs last night, like I, it's not an exaggeration. Th that game should have been over multiple times were it not for Justin Herbert being a damn magician oh, on that man. last drive. Being able to, you know, throw a ball 30 yards on a rope 
in between two defenders like it's no problem. Yeah. And you know what's funny is I was expecting the tie too. And 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 when they got to that last drive and Jacobs is running the clock and I see no one's calling a timeout, I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to the playoffs. This is cool. And then when Brandon Staley did call the timeout, I was like, he did it again. Yeah. Because he gave us three points. Should have been seven, but he gave us three points early in the game yeah. when they went for it on fourth down from inside their own twenty. And I remember telling you through you know months ago on this podcast in every Chargers game, I don't know what it is about this team. Mm. They're stacked everywhere. They have talent. Every, they have six Pro Bowls this season. And somehow, some way, number one, every game's going to come down to the last possession. Number two, they're going to find a way to finish around 500. Sure enough, they finished the season nine and eight out of the playoffs, despite having what I think might be the most talented quarterback in football, period. Yeah. Well, didn't they get rid of Anthony Lynn because of shit like this? Exactly. It's just extremely disappointing. Now, I will say, uh, you know, in Staley's defense, and this is a, not much of a defense because you guys clearly know that I'm extremely disappointed the Chargers lost this game. <clears throat> Staley said right after the game last night that they called timeout to get the best run defense package in the game. Well, that really fucked up, huh? I mean, <laughs> you know, Raiders do nothing on first and second down, and oh, well, let's put in our best run package, and we give up a ten-yard carry to Josh Jacobs. I mean, <laughs> you know, and we do kind of just blame the defense. Now, of course, again, just to be clear, um, Rich, I think, how do you say his name? Basaccia? Rich Basaccia. Okay. He's trying to listen. That guy. I'm sure the NFL prepped him before he went in to meet the media last night. You know, he. You don't want to go in there and say we wanted to tie. You know, you don't want to do that. A lot of alarms and sound will go off. People will freak out if he comes out and says that. So he basically said, once they got into advantage field goal position, they were going to try for it. Okay, but before that ten yard run, meaning before the timeout, um, Las Vegas had to be wondering, hey man, are, are the Chargers playing for tie? They're not calling timeout. Um, so again, we're never going to know, Rob, we will never know. And all you, what do you care? You know, you're, you're a Raiders. You're good to go. Um, you guys have a playoff game. I don't have the bracket in front of me. Do you have the AFC bracket? It's a, it's a real shit burger, Rob. I'm sorry. Sorry to use such foul language on a Monday morning. Get your week started. Didn't you say that that was your resolution? I know. I'm just, listen, man, I woke up and I'm still a little pissed. The chargers cost me some money and I wanted to see Herbert in the playoffs, man. I mean, are there really five better quarterbacks than him in the postseason? I'll tell you right now, Ben Roethlisberger in the playoffs? Like, come on, we got rid of Carson Wentz. We couldn't get rid of Ben Roethlisberger? Carson Wentz, of course, <laughs> gagging. I mean, just epic choke. Just, he basically went on the field in Jacksonville, urinated all over himself, and the Colts are out of the playoffs. You know, now I, I think I told you guys, Jacksonville, I wrote it in the column for Fox Sports, 16 and a half, easy money winner, um, end-to-end victory on that one. But, um... So, Rob, what is the AFC bracket? I know the NFC games are really good. The Monday night game is Rams, uh, Rams Cardinals, which is a rematch. Now, the Rams have historically owned the Cardinals. I did bet the Rams minus four early on Sunday. As soon as the line came out, I liked the Rams in that one. I also fired on the Cowboys, but I kind of regret it. Cowboys, uh, it was three against the Niners. Um, we'll guide, we'll dive deep into the games this week. So, uh, just surface level stuff, real quick. Um, this 49ers secondary is really going to struggle big time to contain um, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper and, hell, even Dalton Schultz and Cedric Wilson. I, I, it's a bad secondary. Uh, I don't know why Brandon Staley, um, 
not Brandon Staley, uh, McVeigh took his foot off the gas. Just awful job. I mean, Rob, I, I, I'm not diving deep into this one. And I did give up the tickets to Rams Diners. My wife and son went. They loved it. The stadium was awesome. Um, and, you know, it was one of those FOMO moments where you go on Instagram in the third quarter and, like, 10 of your friends are at the game and it just looks awesome. Um, McVeigh led 17 nothing, right, Rob? Yep. And they have the ball. They're up, uh, was I think, a touchdown, right? With, like, a minute 15 left. And they decide, instead of try for the first down and ice the game, McVeigh, run, 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 punt. Made the Niners use their timeouts and Jimmy G... Rob's guy, my guy, Jimmy G. I mean, <laughs> Jimmy G delivered. And the uh, 49ers win in overtime. And San Fran's going to the playoffs. They're a dangerous team. I took Dallas. It was maybe an irrational bet. I, I don't love it. I think the Niners are real dangerous in that one. Um, and in the AFC, it's looking like Steelers, Chiefs. Ugh. Do you guys remember how much of a bloodbath that was the last time? I don't know what's going to change. It's a du- big double-digit spread. Uh, uh, Chiefs are going to win that. Um, gosh, the Steelers are so unwatchable, Rob. Um, uh, your Raiders are with the Bengals? Yes, sir. Now, memory serves, uh, Bengals were short favorites last time. They were in Vegas, and they pulled away in the fourth quarter. Ugly game, right? Yeah, it was one of those games where you could have turned it on like in the third quarter, and you'd be like, oh, I didn't miss anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, Rob. I, do you think they have a? Oh, I think they have a chance, right? It's not like the oh Bengals yeah, I think defense. any anybody other than the Chiefs, I think they'd have a good chance against them. I'm not saying I pick them to win, but I, I don't see any, you know, juggernauts in in the uh, AFC, especially offense. I know the the Bengals can score, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the fact that we played them already and we saw what they can do, it, it's it's a little bit different than the Chiefs who have just owned the Raiders, you know, yeah. for five years or whatever it is. And then the final one is uh, a game I'm just not interested in at all. Bills, Patriots, round three. Um, The first one was a win game, which you toss out the window. Mac Jones threw the ball three times. The second one, Josh Allen just dominated. Now, the Bills have sleptwalked the last two weeks. If you guys have watched closely, they were not impressive against the Falcons. They got the cover late. They were not impressive against the Jets. They got the cover late. I don't know if they've been holding back since that Patriots win, but I, I kind of like all the three favorites are in the AFC. Would you- Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You agree, Rob, or you going to pick your Raiders just because they're your Raiders? You, you know what? That's just not fair of you to say to me right now. I mean, I'm trying to bask in this win. You know, it hasn't, right. even okay. been, hasn't even been 12 hours yet. Just let me enjoy it, and then I'll come back down to earth later in the week. Come on. Killing me. But yes, other than that, favorites.
Uh, what about the NFC? Any any most likely to get an upset? You know, I I really like the the Niners in that spot. There, there's just something about the Cowboys that I feel like they haven't really been playing their best football. You know, they they got fat against the uh, Washington, and then and for whatever reason, they played their starters deep into that game against the Eagles in Week 18. So I think this idea that they have their offense clicking is is not accurate. Hmm. Um, and so I, I I would expect that uh, for all of his faults, that that Kyle Shanahan is going to have something dialed up for them, and I think that they're going it's going to be a close game and and. I lean San Francisco right now. Um, I'm not ready to make a pick yet, but I would lean San Francisco. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, uh, listen, we're going to have all week to chew on the NFL playoffs. We don't have all week to talk about the natty. Georgia, Alabama, part deux. And to do that, let's bring in a former Alabama quarterback who just happened, just happened to also quarterback for my New York Jets. You guys know him well. He is Greg McElroy, radio host in Birmingham, Alabama. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know it's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? If you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use promo code FIRE at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you are interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code FIRE. No one does sports quite like Las Vegas, where the excitement is endless. You don't go to Vegas for just one game or just one team. You go there for the epic pregame and the three days postgame. You go for showtime and the go time and the 24 hours of prime time. Because in Vegas, the game is just the beginning. Celebrity chef dining, amazing nightlife and entertainment, incredible resorts, outdoor adventures, and so much more heart-racing, pulse-pounding excitement packed into five-plus square miles that are unlike anywhere else. There's only one place where you're never on the sidelines. Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Check out all the games, events, competitions, and more happening this season and book your trip at visitlasvegas.com. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports. I know what sports fans want. But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy. All right, let's welcome into Straight Fire a former NFL quarterback. He played for my Jets, and he did a lot more impressive things with the Alabama Crimson Tide national champion uh, radio host in Birmingham, Greg McElroy. Greg, how are you, man? 
Hey, what's going on, guys? How are y'all? I'm excellent. I can't complain. Uh, we got a national championship game on the horizon. And who better to talk to than uh, one of Nick Saban's guys? Uh, you know, your time at Alabama was great. You were uh, uh, you had an amazing run. And look at this. Alabama's still dominating. Any surprise to you that uh, here they are, what, 15 years now of dominance? Uh, you know, not a lot, to be honest with you, just just knowing the ins and outs of the program that he's built. I mean, they're just not a program that's really one of those that's going to come fall by the wayside to just do such an amazing job of creating consistency, creating competition and creating a culture in which anything less than your best is going to be a, you know, a long way away from what's expected. So it's really been a lot of fun to to watch as, you know, someone that now is on this side of the microphone, it's pretty neat because I've gone everywhere. I didn't know any better. You know, I mean, back in the day, I, mean, I didn't know any better. That's just how I thought everybody worked. <laughs> but I found out quickly that's that's not really the case. And it's pretty obvious what separates them from, yeah. from everybody else with the work they put in Monday through Friday. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Alabama, Georgia in a second. I want to rewind quickly to Alabama, Cincinnati. A anything at all surprise you in that game? I mean, they, it, it, SEC championship game, Bryce Young throws 44 times. Aerial assault. And then again, Cincinnati, they dominate the trenches. I think they rushed for like 250 yards, like almost 50 carries. Anything surprise you at that game or any takeaways uh, from, from that one? You know, I was really surprised that they were able to run the ball with the same level of efficiency that they ran. I thought Cincinnati would hold up a little better in the trenches. Uh, I had called Cincinnati game earlier that year. And, and I thought Cincinnati was pretty stout up front, not I mean, they weren't going to be as stout as a Georgia or or some of the teams that Alabama might see scattered throughout the SEC. But I thought their athleticism could neutralize some of the advantages that Alabama would naturally have mm. along the line of scrimmage, just on fear, sheer size and power. Um, but that obviously wasn't the case. Alabama kind of went back to the old school line of thinking and saying, hey, man, we're just going to run it, run it, run it and make you like it. And that's exactly what transpired. Now, Bryce Young hit a couple throws, but it was far from his best performance. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was really never in rhythm. I mean, it was really almost exclusively about running the football. And he'd go long bouts within the game before yeah. he even attempted a pass. So I uh, can't say it was super surprising to see Alabama control the game the way they did. I just thought Cincinnati would be able to create a little more offensively and they weren't really able to do that at any point. Yeah, I'm curious. Desmond Ritter came in. Uh, I do mock drafts for Fox Sports. I had him in the middle of the first round. And, of course, during the game, everybody's like, dude, this guy's not a first-round quarterback. It looked like the game was a little too fast for him. Uh, it was afraid to make mistakes. Had a lot of balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. I, I, what was your takeaway on Ritter? Uh, the balls batted were concerning. Um, you know, I think Alabama obviously recognized, Hey man, there's no reason in trying to rush this guy. Let's just stop, put your hands up and, and see if you can't get a piece of it. Uh, they've done that with a lot of success in the past. They've done it against Georgia. They've done a lot against a lot of really good teams. So it's not like that was exclusive to Cincinnati, but yeah, I would say that his performance was a little disappointing, but I would think even more so it was the offensive plan. That was a little disappointing. Alabama went into that game without their top two corners. Uh, Josh Job is sidelined for the season after surgery between the SEC championship game and the college football playoff semifinal. And then early in the game, Jalen Armour Davis, who is way less than 100 uh, percent, he didn't come back in the game. So you're working with a true freshman and a Juco transfer, both very talented players, both have very bright future, but kind of untested 
yeah. in the grand scheme of things. And the fact that they didn't try to work some isolations on the outside, Alec Pierce, their wide receiver, he's kind of like a poor man's Mike Evans. Uh, he's obviously not six, six, which is what makes uh, Mike Evans so incre- incredibly lethal on the outside. But Alec Pierce does a really good job of winning 50, 50 balls. And in a jump ball situation, more often than not, the six foot three Pierce is going to come down with you. He just times it really well and tracks the ball really well in the air. They didn't really try any of that. So I thought their plan, Cincinnati in some ways, when I looked at it, it was like, man, we don't want to get blown out. You know, it's like they didn't really, oh, scared. They didn't really attack the way yeah. they should have or the way, I, the way I thought they would. So uh, I think Ritter had a tough day, but I also think the plan didn't necessarily position him to have a lot of success. Speaking of bad game plans, I don't know what Harbaugh was doing, uh, Greg, with this, like, let's stretch Georgia out on, you know, let's sideline to sideline the fastest defense in the country. I was, I was puzzled. It felt like they threw like four swing passes. Um, Did you get the same vibe? I mean, I I thought it was a horrible matchup for Michigan uh, because you're not going to out Georgia, Georgia. Right. Like, you know, I mean, that's when you're the same team, the team with more talent is going to win. So you have to out scheme Georgia. And I'm not sure Michigan has the personnel to be able to do that. You have to have a great quarterback. You have to have dynamic weapons on the outside and you have to be able to win one on ones on the outside as well. And Georgia, without Ronnie Bell, who was lost early in the year, they don't really have a guy that I'm real, really scared to death of at wide receiver. I think Blake Corum's amazing at running back. I think Hassan Haskins is excellent at running back as well. But as far as the wide receivers are concerned, they're, they're kind of a, a solid group, but far from yeah. a, a uniquely spectacular group. So uh, I didn't love the matchup for Georgia. They tried to get him running sideline to sideline um, because I know you can't attack Georgia into the teeth of yeah. the defense. You've got to get them going sideways. But if you don't have the speed to be able to really exploit that, you're going to have a hard time. Uh, But both these teams, Georgia and Alabama, in their wins, it felt to me like conservative game plans where they didn't put a lot on tape to give the opponent, who they know well, right? I mean, Smart and Saban know each other very well. It just felt like one of those, hey, we're just going to be very vanilla, go through the motions and roll through this win. Did did you get a sense the same thing? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just the uh, fan in me talking that uh, that stuff does not exist. But I mean, did you? I didn't see anything exotic from Alabama, and other than the one uh, red zone halfback option pass, I didn't think Georgia did much either. No, I it was. I mean, it was somewhat vanilla. Bama, especially, there yeah. was not a lot to it. Their plan was about as basic as it gets. Yes, did they use some of the bunches and some of the stacks that they'd had success with? In the latter part of the season, yes. Uh, they used some of the motions that it, they'd had success with, sure. But no, they didn't show a whole lot. And Bama pulled out all the stops and had a lot of really interesting looks against Georgia the first time around. They were able to use motions and create advantageous matchups for both John Mechie and Jamison Williams throughout most of the first matchup. But I can't imagine it being another situation in which Jamison Williams could just go off. I'd be really surprised because Mechie's now out with a torn ACL and they have other pieces that are pretty dang solid. Alabama does, but the one guy that can literally take over the game is Jamison Williams. So if Kirby smart doesn't have an answer for him, uh, that would be really problematic uh, if I were associated with the Georgia program. So 
one thing that I've noticed, and, and this has kind of happened time and time again, when you look at the national championship games or any game for that matter between Georgia and against Alabama, there's always unknown surprising performances that kind of they captivate the audience. I mean, yeah. we all know the story of Tua Tagovailoa. No one expected him to be a feature player, and sure enough, there he was. At that time, Michael Hardman for Georgia was a great player, but everyone mm. was talking about everyone was talking about Riley Ridley. Everyone was talking about the two running backs in Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. But Michael Hardman was actually the best player on the field offensively for Georgia in that national championship game. There have been other examples of guys that have stepped up in settings like this for Alabama that are, are kind of surprise you like OJ Howard in 2015, he oh. ended up having like a 200 yard game. Yeah. The guy had never been, he'd never been targeted more than three or four times in a game. And he's like the go-to guy all of a sudden. So uh, I, there's always an unsung hero that steps up in games like this. And I I'm having a difficult time pegging it right now, but I'd be highly surprised if there wasn't a surprise performance that plays a huge role in determining the outcome of the game. So with with a month to prepare, Saban has killed everybody in the playoff, uh, the semifinals. They've rolled in every all those games. Uh, I just wonder the familiarity here. Are, are you anticipating a low scoring game? And I and I also got to ask about uh, the whole idea of Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. All all the assistants losing to Saban. He's kind of got this this mind meld over them where it's like they're kind of afraid of him. Do you think that still applies here, or having just lost a month ago, to, do we toss that out the window? Well, I don't think fear is part of it, right? I mean, it's just he, in most cases, you talk about the same in assistance. In most cases, yeah. Bama's had the better team. So usually when a Saban assistant gets a gig, it's because the guy before him didn't do a very good job, right? <laughs> like, And they decided to, hey, we're going to try something new. And we're going to go with the Saban guy and we're going to see what happens. Uh, so oftentimes, usually Saban assistants are going into that game against Nick Saban with a knife and a gunfight. And that's, that's not what you want. So uh, obviously the numbers indicate dominance and understandably so, but then again, I mean, you got to kind of take some of those performances with the grain of salt. Like, are we, are we really going to value Jim McElwain's Colorado state team in the same sense as a, as a, you know, Georgia led or a Kirby smart led Georgia team. I don't don't think they're necessarily the same, but uh, all that aside, I, I think that this game on Monday between Georgia and Alabama, Kirby wants it so bad, so, so, so bad, and has. I mean, he's a tenacious competitor right. uh, and oftentimes will press because, you know, he wants it as bad as anything and, and wants to get the W, wants to get the monkey off his back. And sometimes his tightness and anticipation and excitement can sometimes I think have a negative effect uh, on the team. Yeah. And maybe that, maybe that has had some carryover in the past in which his team has played tight because Kirby was tight. And that's, I think what happened in the sec championship game. Uh, I think they played really tight. I thought they played a step slow. They didn't really read and react the same level of intensity as they have in the other 13 mm-hmm. games. And, and I think that's something that they need to be real mindful of heading into Monday's game. That's interesting because there was also the idea that, hey, Alabama needed the SEC championship game way more than Georgia. Georgia was in the playoff. Alabama, their season was on the line and they just played with more urgency. I don't know. Listen, you played in the SEC championship game. Does that like logic make any sense to you or not really? I mean, yes, it does. Uh, I'd like I'd like to think that 
it's a championship game. <laughs> you know, I would like to think you're going to get everyone's best effort, and you very well might have from Georgia. I, I, I can't speak to that. Only they can tell. Only they know inside if they did enough to prepare to play at the highest level that night. But all I know is they didn't look anything like they did in the other 13 games. Uh, now, part of that is they didn't play against anyone that was as good as Alabama. And Alabama, of course, was able to, and maybe there were opportunities earlier in the year, and there were plenty for teams to hit big plays down the field, and they just couldn't do it. Well, Alabama could. Uh, so this is the first team that could really exploit some of your deficiencies that they had faced on a consistent basis. And, you know, that's probably what led to the performance. But, you know, I think it's human nature. If you have to have it, if your life depends on it, you're capable of taking it up a level even that of beyond what you think is cap- you're capable of. And, and, I and wonder, that's, yeah. I think, what Bama did that day. Jumping to the 10 nothing lead probably did not help. Oh, we got this. And then they get steamrolled. I am curious, the number here. Alabama is a three-point underdog. We know the history of Nick Saban as an underdog, including being a six-point dog against Georgia. Uh, I don't know, Greg. You know, we have a large gambling audience here on the pod. Georgia favored by three. I think the world is going to be on Alabama here. Would you agree? Yeah, and see, that's that to me is so funny that you say that because I always think about it from the angle uh, when we talk betting or, or gambling. I always try to get inside of Vegas' head, right? Like if Vegas is giving away points with Bama, they must think Georgia's the side. Yep. Right. And and to me, like first thing that I looked at on Friday night was all right. What's the line? What's the look ahead line uh, when these games went final last week? And you see. Bama plus one. I mean, everyone's immediate reaction is, oh my God, I got to, I, I got to get Bama with points. Like that line's going to move. Bama's free money. You got to take, like, that seems so obvious, right? They just beat them by 17 four weeks prior. Like, how could, yeah. how could Georgia possibly be favored? And anytime I have that strong of a reaction, it does make me feel the tiniest bit uncomfortable because I'm sitting there thinking, like, well, if I feel that strongly, then I must be wrong. Right. So sure enough, the sharps get in. They start betting, and you look at the numbers, the ticket count, the num- the money count. The money counts on Georgia, the ticket counts on Bama, which means Johnny Public's playing Bama, the Sharks are playing Georgia. That line steamed from one to two and a half. Now it's all the way up to three. So Georgia laying three against Alabama, and they're just begging for Bama money, it feels yeah. like. And he- that, to me, makes me feel the tiniest bit uncomfortable uh, when I think about it from a Bama fan. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Cristina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cotto Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Personally, I'm gonna take. I'll take my, you know, my analyst hat off for a second. It makes me uncomfortable knowing that Vegas clearly thinks George is the side. Yeah. Based on how the line is moved, how the line is steamed, and where it opened up. Yeah. No. I 100% agreement. Uh, I just wonder if 
you know, getting three, you know, again, you're not getting the best number, right? It, like you said, it opened at one uh, on the look ahead and now it's up to three. It's like, oh man, do you really think Georgia's a field goal? I mean, this screams field goal game. Does it not? 23, uh, 20, something along those lines. The, the way I see it, like Georgia's best, best path to victory is to keep it low scoring. Yeah. You know, I, I think they, if it becomes a shootout, I think Bama's more comfortable winning in a setting like that. If the game gets up into the forties, can Georgia get there? Sure. They can. I mean, it's, I mean, Georgia's changed quite a bit from the days in which they wanted to win 20 to 17. I mean, that now in a perfect world. Yeah. I think Kirby smart would still like to win that way, but that's not, they can, if they need to, if it becomes a track meet, they can play with you. And they did that in the Rose bowl a couple of years yep. ago against Oklahoma that's came a track game. meet and they got it going. So, uh, I think in a perfect world for Georgia, it's a low-scoring game where the possessions are limited, their defense is fresh, and they can kind of just, like a boa constrictor, just compress what you're doing offensively. I think if Bama had their druthers, they would love for it to become a track meet. Hey, let's <laughs> let's speed them up, make them score with us, and let's see what happens. So it be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But, yeah, I think if Georgia wins, you're probably liking the under. If Bama wins, you're probably liking the over. Uh, agreed. Now, a quick final question on the game. Uh, Stetson Bennett, uh, where are you on this guy? Like, you know, he, he feels like a bit of a game manager, did a fine, solid job all season, then gets up against Bama, throws two picks, and there's questions about him. He looked fine against Michigan, but are we going to see JT Daniels in this one at all? I'd be surprised. Oh. Uh, given, yeah, I mean, Bama's pass rush is pretty significant, and I think having the more mobile option is advantageous for Georgia. Um, I think Stetson Bennett's a little underappreciated. He's not, he's not, you know, he's, he's not the guy you want leading your team off the bus. I mean, he just doesn't look the part. I mean, he's, he's five foot 11, he's 200 pounds and he's not the prettiest thing in the world. But what I've said about Stetson for the last week is I feel like he's, you know, uh, you ever see the movie? She's all that. Of course. Fred, Come on. Freddie Prince, Freddie Prince. Yeah, Rachel yeah, Lee yeah. Cook or whatever. Well, Rachel Lee Cook had like this terrible haircut and glasses and overalls mm. and paint on him. And then next thing you know, Freddie Prince Jr. decides he's going to make him the prom, make her the prom queen. They take her glasses off, give her a quick haircut, put her in a red dress. Next thing you know, she's the prettiest girl in school. So I think that's kind of what Stetson Bennett is. Like maybe he's not that attractive, like on first initial look. And then you dive a little deeper and look at the numbers, look at the productivity, look at his ability to keep you honest with his legs. It's like, well, man, maybe this guy is pretty dang good. So that's the comparison that I've kind of continued to go back to. And I think it holds true because the guy just continues to make plays. Did so against Michigan. Had a tough one against Bama. But I didn't like their plan very much either. Uh, and I didn't think they played very well around him yeah. uh, the first time around either, too. So um, I think he's very capable. And Bama's going to have to keep him in check, especially when it comes down to some of the run plays that he's been able to do on, on improvisation plays. With Windows 11 and Intel, you can do what you do better. With Snap Assist, you can arrange your windows, programs, and apps the way you want to see them. And with more power to run your favorite apps on a lightweight device, you can get powerhouse performance packed inside a portable PC. Windows 11 and the Intel Evo platform make working from wherever better. Learn more at windows.com slash brings you closer. 
Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Big picture thing, uh, the NIL complaints. You have a lot of coaches chirping about how, oh, NIL's created free agency. This is awful. This is terrible. And, and uh, you know, Greg, it's like, well, don't the coaches kind of do whatever they want? Why can't the players? Uh, where are you on this one? I mean, I, we, we knew it was coming. Yeah. You know, none of us are surprised with how it's all gone down. I mean, we said, look, the underbelly of college football is coming to the forefront. I don't blame the players for doing anything that they're doing. Yeah. Um, I don't really like the optics of it. it. makes me a little uncomfortable. You have guys that are entering the portal just to create leverage against the, against their own school. Like that to me is strange. For instance, there's oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I hadn't heard that. That that's interesting. Where's that happening? Oh yeah, Caleb Williams uh, has entered the portal. Yeah, to basically test the waters to see whether or not Oklahoma is going to pony up, or someone associated with Oklahoma in the NIL situation is going to pony up. I mean, that's oh. now. So you don't you didn't think he just wanted to leave to go uh, with his with his coach? If he had, if that was the case, why hasn't he signed at SC? Mm. <laughs> I mean, as of right now, I mean, I, but I, I don't blame him. Like I would do the same thing. I mean, because if you can make a uh, million dollars for a year and then enter the portal again next year, make another million, million and a half and just create leverage, you're basically signing the franchise tag every year. Uh, and that's to me is a little bit uncomfortable and there's no limitations. It's not like anybody has a salary cap. For instance, Texas A&M, they have eight figures eight figures of NIL money that is organized right now to be able to distribute to players uh, through various NIL mediums and platforms. Wow. Not every school can do that. You know, I mean, and at least in the NFL, there's a salary cap and, and it creates some constraints and there are some, and there are some things that, uh, hmm. that are in place to kind of keep things at least as level as humanly possible, but it is what it is. That's where we're at right now. Uh, I don't think the money's going to necessarily change. The one thing I would like to see, I would like to see some confines on when you can enter the portal and mm. when you can be recruited out of the portal. Because right now, there's tampering going on all the time. And in the NFL, that 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 is like the worst thing you can do in the NFL. Like you get fined yeah. drastically. It's really bad. There are green light times and there's red light times. You can contact free agents. You can sign free agents. You can tamper, like whatever but it's very organized in the NFL. It should be that way in college too, because I think the time is coming where you go through training camp with, <laughs> let's say Texas and you play for Texas for the first three weeks of the season. You don't like how much playing time you're getting. You enter the transfer portal 
in the fourth game of the year. And then next thing you know, by week eight, you're playing for Oklahoma and you might be playing against Texas with state secrets. You, you think that's me, in the near future? Oh, oh yeah. That's no, very that's, dark. I had not considered that, Greg. Oh, my. Uh, 100%. That's coming. Wow. I mean, that, so like, that's what we need to do. Like, if you want to enter the portal, you can enter the portal anytime. That's your choice. But you cannot be actively recruited out of the portal all the time. It hmm. has to be set time. Hey, on November, on December 1st or on December 15th, you can be recruited up until February 1st. And then the portal closes. That's fair. And then from May until June, May 1 until June 1, portals open for business, closes. All right. Like there has to be time in which you can stop and go because right now this constant entering and exiting, it's it's just chaos. So I'm curious, this Caleb Williams thing's interesting. So how do you think this went down? Do you think another school said, hey, you know, through back channels or what have you, we can get you 500K in uh, NIL money or more. Are you interested? And then do you think Caleb Williams and perhaps went to Oklahoma and said, hey, Tulsa or whoever is offering me right. 500K. And they were like, well, what are you talking about, man? No. And then he just said, I'm going to enter the portal and see what lets Annie up or I'm out. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably pretty close to what was going on. Oh, as a, you think a freshman would have the balls to do that, Greg? If you're a good player, <laughs> it's like it's become more about the individual, you know, I mean, that's and look, you are what you are, what people are willing to pay you like your worth is what people are willing to pay you. If someone's willing to pay you one point five, two million dollars to come play for a year, then that's what you're that's what you think you're worth. That's what you're worth. And that's what you should try to get elsewhere. I mean, it's just leverage. I mean, it's it's what no different than. Uh, I mean, I think whoever he goes will have paid him significant money. So, but didn't the kid from uh, Gabriel like D D sign or decommit? Dylan, or yeah, Dylan yeah. Gabriel. He was, I mean, he, he might. I'm not saying he's going back to Oklahoma. I'm just saying that that conversation has likely occurred. Hey, mm-hmm. I can get this elsewhere. So, if you want me to stay, it's going to cost this. Hey, and and that is, and that's not just Caleb Williams. You know, that's just one of the bigger. He's one of the bigger fish that has gone through this process. I mean, and I thought, you know, the transfer portal was going to be for guys that, hey, they're not getting enough playing time. They need yeah. to enter the portal, find a greener pasture. That's not the case anymore. Guys are entering the portal that already have starting jobs and good starting jobs at that. So it's different than what it once was. It's different than what I think most people intended it to be. Uh, now it's a leveraging mechanism to create as much value for yourself as possible, which is not a bad thing at all. It just, it's just different than what I think a lot of people anticipate. And, and you know, this is a great point, Greg. I, I had not thought of it in that dark matter. Uh, you know, there's is no it dark though. Yeah. Like that's, that's my thing. Like, is it dark? Like I think here's what I don't like. And, and I've, I've said this a bunch, like the one thing I hate is tampering. Like we need to drop the hammer on school because if you have a guy that's under scholarship, that's on scholarship at a school earning NIL money or whatever, like a, a, a coach from another school should not be able to contact a player that is on scholarship elsewhere. That's wrong. But like, and how are they going to regulate? They can't regulate that, can they? Well, if you get caught, you should have like a major show cause. But mm. right now the NCAA is scared of football and they won't do it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> there's no infractions committee. Like there's no rules. Like you can tamper, you can. Like what to stop me? Let's say you're the head coach at say TCU okay. and I'm, and I'm at uh, Oklahoma state. There's, I mean, yeah, there are rules against it, but there's no enforcement against it. What's to stop me from going to your starting wide receiver and saying, 
hey, dude, you're not getting any touches there, man. Come up and play for us. You can start day one, and we will get you this in NIL money. You're going to get this many touches. There's, I mean, if it's not enforced, like, what's to stop me as an assistant coach from doing it? Morality? Yeah. Please, there's no morals in this deal. You're, you're paying <laughs> – I mean, there's – like. It's about winning and losing and all is fair and love and war and college football, especially on the recruiting trail is war. Yeah. It's just for, for a guy like Caleb Williams. I mean, I think it was like mid November. He was playing so well. They were like, Oh, is this guy in the Heisman mix future of Oklahoma quarterback? And like, you know, they get a new coach and he knows, I mean, he went to Oklahoma for a reason. He must love it there. And then would he really leave Oklahoma over a couple hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't Absolutely. know his family situation, but if you're if you're going to the NFL in a few years anyway, is really upheaval of leaving the school, your friends, you know, they're your family. You're the starter going to where do you think uh, he's going to end up or who, who do you think is talking to him? Well, I mean, I think that the teams that are probably talking to him the most are I mean, USC is probably in the mix. Um, that's where Lincoln Riley went. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine Georgia probably wants to get a significant upgraded quarterback uh, as good as I think Stetson Bennett's been at times. I mean, having a guy with capable of ceiling would be highly intriguing. Um, LSU is in a position right now where they have a new head coach and Brian Kelly and deep NIL pockets. Maybe they're in the mix, Texas A&M. They, so the uh, SEC just, basically. <laughs> they're the ones with the deep SEC has got the deepest pockets. Yeah. So, I mean, you, and that's, uh, I mean, that's widely known SEC has the deepest pockets and the small businesses that have aligned and big businesses in some ways, Texas A&M on any given Saturday has 20 billionaires in the stands, 20, uh, with season tickets. They sold 10, they sold out of every one of their suites that went for 10 million guys did it. Like it was nothing. I mean, just didn't even yeah. care. How's Jimbo's so, program looking for next year? Are they, do they get a quarter? No, no? Number one recruiting class. Uh, so mm. the NIL, I mean, now it's all fair. I mean, a lot of people have always speculated with well, the SEC is dirty. The SEC is dirty. Well, now it's fair. Now it's legal. <laughs> uh, so you can do whatever you want. There's nothing stopping you. Um, but I mean, Ohio state already has a true freshman quarterback. So, or a redshirt freshman quarterback in CJ Stroud that was a Heisman finalist. So that's not an advantageous spot. Maybe Michigan gets in the mix, but McNamara had a pretty good year for him. So it's really more about the opportunities that are in the sec than other places. There's other places that would definitely be able to match and, or in some ways probably surpass what Caleb Williams might make in the sec, but they're set at quarterback as of right now. Yeah, and there's a there's a chance I guess they maybe aren't in. They're not the high profile games. I mean, again, you go to the SEC, you're on national TV every week. You know your pro, uh, profiles raised. You're probably getting uh, NFL draft talk every week, right? I mean, it just makes sense, unfortunately. Well, I mean, the SEC the SEC sends the most guys to the NFL. I mean, um, they have the most talented players, and and people will push back against that. So that's not true. Well, it is though. I mean, it's just top to bottom. The league has the most talented rosters. Um, so. It's probably if you want, if your end goal is ultimately to go to the NFL, um, you know, that's a place where where they have a proven track record of being able to get you there. Uh, but there's other places that you can get there as well. Like I've always yeah. been on like you don't the the league is not going to the SEC and be like, oh, we need all your players. No, the league's going to all the best players and saying, all right, we're taking you regardless of, you know, what league you're in. It just so happens that there's more good players in the sec than there are in the pac 12, the big 12, the big 10 ACC, what have you. Uh, I, I was just looking back at your bio. Sorry to keep you so long, Greg, but uh, you got to Alabama before um, Saban, huh? I did. Yeah. Yep. I had Mike huh. Shula for a year. 
Yeah. How was that experience? Uh, different, um, but probably prepared me for, you know, the relationship that I would have uh, with any NFL coach or whatnot. I mean, Mike Shula was kind of cut from the NFL cloth. So a yep. very player friendly coach and a, you know, a, I mean, he was, I enjoyed working with him. He's a great quarterback. Mine has obviously been in the league for a long time and has obviously worked with a lot of quarterbacks as well. So totally different culture, totally different program. Um, but still from a quarterback's perspective, I, I had a great experience. Yeah. So, so Shula, I don't know if he stole is the right word. And again, we're going back like 12 years, but you had committed to Texas tech. And then um, what prompted the the change to Bama? I mean, that was a significant move, obviously. Yeah. Well, at that time, Bama was not what they are now. Um, right. Bama was, uh, you know, a middling program that had had some bright spots, but not, uh, you know, not the the program that it's now come to be. But at that point, you know, I was not um, I was not like a super highly regarded recruit. I was kind of an afterthought for a lot of programs. I'd only started one year in high school. So uh, the guy in front of me was a guy named Chase Daniel, yes. who's still who's still in the league. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, so, you know, to have two NFL guys on one roster in high school is insane. And neither one of us transferred in. We we grew up in the South Lake Carroll system. So uh, kind of crazy to think about that looking back at it. But I, I had a bunch of offers come in after my senior year when teams finally got a chance to see me play mm-hmm. against top caliber competition. Alabama was one of those. And then decided to take a bunch of visits in January and ultimately decided that Alabama was the best place for me. So my best offer at the time was Texas Tech early in the process. So I committed so they wouldn't be my recruitment wouldn't be a distraction for me or my teammates. Yeah. Uh, But I did so knowing that I would take visits after the season and, you know, choose what what was going to be best for me at that point. That wasn't Kingsbury's Texas Tech. He was later, right? No, that was Mike Leach. That was Mike Leach's Texas Tech. That's right, Mike Leach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Greg, we'll wrap up with this. I got to ask you about the Jets. You you know, you played there. Um, I I don't, I I mean, any highlights you want to (laughs) offer? How was living in New York? Did you, I mean, did you love the Jets? (laughs) Uh, I did, actually. Um, I had a great experience in New York and had a great experience with with the ownership, like Woody Johnson and whatnot, Rex Ryan, like I loved my time, Mike Tannenbaum, like they were all, they were all great to me. Uh, I loved it. I mean, they take such great care of their players. Um, We would have, I mean, massage therapists, we'd have acupuncturists and we would fly every week to our road games. We would fly on seven fifty sevens with two aisles in the back and you would get three seats to yourself. I mean, the experience of, of playing for New York uh, was amazing. Now, there are downsides to that. Um, obviously, playing in New York, you're going to operate under a pretty significant microscope. Mm-hmm. And you're going to oftentimes have, gosh, 20 publications and three or four beat writers each in your locker room. So it's going to be very easy for negative things about the team to get out because of the landscape that New York provides. So um, it's a, it's a heavily scrutinized place, but it was a very rewarding place. Uh, And after I went from there to the Bengals where I spent my last year in the league, I realized how much Woody cared about us as players and how badly he wanted to win. Mm. Uh, I mean, for instance, like in Cincinnati, we had a, we had a, 
a sauna that was broken for three weeks because the city of Cincinnati hadn't come out to fix it. Well, it would have cost like $500 and <laughs> we probably would have paid for it within the locker room to do it, but Cincinnati wouldn't do it. So uh, different experience. Um, we were sitting Oof. three, three wide and coach uh in cincinnati so different experience but <laughs> you know it's, I mean, oh, we were really man. the thing is we were really good in cincinnati we had a really good team we went to the playoffs lost to philip rivers and the chargers in the that's first right round yeah, of the yeah chad johnson on that team um no chad was gone um but no. it was a i mean oh. a really good uh, 2013 i don't think Chad. oh was there. right right yeah 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 right 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 um, i was thinking of the jets see the jets had beat the bengals with Sanchez at quarterback, but you got there the year after the Jets went to two AFC title games. Yeah, I got but, there. I was the kiss of death. I got the, there the next year. Oh, yeah, right. The kiss of death. <laughs> well, the downfall was super ugly, right, Greg? I mean, goodness gracious. Like, it got nasty pretty quickly for Sanchez and Rex Ryan and those guys. So, you just missed the greatness, right? Um. Yeah, I mean, I so I missed all the fun stuff with the Jets. Got two AFC championships, hard knocks, like missed all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got there the year after that, though, and Rex was amazing. Like, I loved Rex. Uh, and obviously, so we had some interesting times in New York with, so you had Ryan Schottenheimer, uh-huh. uh, who was the OC the first year. Uh, that was in 2011. Uh, Mark Brunel was in our quarterback room. Kevin O'Connell, who's now the OC at at the Rams, he was in our quarterback room, uh, and then me. And then the next year, our quarterback room was Mark, Tim Tebow, and myself. Uh, the <laughs> wow. year after the year after that, they decided to clean out really the the front office, and Mike Tannenbaum was let go. Mm. They brought in brought in John Idzik, who. <laughs> Some of the decisions that were made there were mind-boggling. Total buffoon. Oh uh, I mean, I remember us having like a knockdown drag-out argument. Mark and myself like wanted, uh, like wanted Alshon Jeffrey. Thought Alshon Jeffrey was just such a monster and was so good. And <laughs> like this guy has such catch radius, but he doesn't. He's not fast. It's like right, I'm telling you, the guy's unbelievable. He torched us. Like torched <laughs> us in college. Yeah, at you South Carolina, right? Guy. Yes, you got. And he just didn't want him. They, well, I mean, I, I never had the conversation with Idzik, but I know that that, that the front uh, that the um, front office really wanted Stephen Hill. Um, oh gosh, Georgia and, Tech. Oof. Yeah, could run like the wind. I mean, it was a great guy too. It was an amazing guy. Yeah. Uh, but Alshon was just a, a freak of nature, and I just was so so bummed at that point. And they took Geno Smith in the second round that year, uh, and that upset Mark because obviously Mark, um, you know, I think Mark was a really good player. I mean, like everyone will say, well, Mark made mistakes. He did make mistakes at, at really inopportune times. But Mark was a great player and was the centerpiece of the franchise. And you want to build up the centerpiece of the franchise as opposed to tearing them down. I felt like that group in the front office kind of tore Mark down as opposed to building him up and surrounding him with the capable pieces around him. So yeah. um, not, not trying to make excuses for Mark, but I always thought Mark got a really raw deal. Uh, there in New York, especially at the, at the latter part. I mean, he got hurt in the preseason, hurt his shoulder. And it's like, it was just, it was just a very unfortunate yeah. ending to a guy who I, I still think the world of Mark's a very good friend. And um, you just feel bad for how things ended in New York. Thought he deserved better. Hey, Boyd, listening do you, break it down. I wonder, have you considered getting into coaching? I mean, obviously you were the, what the road scholar, the smartest guy, 4.2 GP, whatever it was. <laughs> have you considered getting back into coaching at all or just, People have approached me about it. Um, you know, I've had some friends that have gone into that world and I, for one, uh, 
I don't have any desire uh, and not at this point. It's like, yeah, the money's great, but at what cost? Yeah. Like, and that's, that's, I think um, where I've struggled with it is like, I've had buddies who uh, have been fired unceremoniously fired for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Um, even though their position group played well, the defense struggled as a whole, they got fired. You know, it's like, well, hang on, how is that even possible? <laughs> and, then, you know, I think the, the work-life balance to me is just really, mm. really, really, um, I have two kids under the age of three. Oh, and I wow. think it'd be, it'd be hard for me to be around and be dad uh, in that yeah. line of work. So I'm, I'm glad to be doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I don't anticipate shutting it down anytime soon. Yeah. All right. I've kept you long, uh, too long. Greg McElroy, radio host, former Jets quarterback, uh, former Alabama Tide quarterback. He, he done it all. Congrats on a great career in the family and everything, Greg. And uh, enjoy the uh, the championship. All right. Thanks, buddy. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 